finally here performing for you. It's the first members of the Jackson Cloud crew. Huh. Nope. I'm His busy. coconut gun. <laughs> I'm Jamin. I'm Olivia. Can fire in spurts. What are you even talking about? If he shoots ya, it's gonna hurt. I'm Nobody, assuming that this is a reference to some This song? is Donkey Kong 64. How have you guys... Again, yeah. I did not have a 64 growing up. I did, but I didn't have Donkey Kong. Like, I had to only go over and play it at a friend's houses. And most of the time, if they had Donkey Kong, it was really superseded by Mario Racing or Mario Kart. Of course, of course. Or Smash Bros. Uh-huh. Or know, Star Fox. <laughs> All those are quality, including Donkey Kong 64-ish. No, Donkey Ish. Kong was on the Ish. Ish. Donkey Ish. Kong was on the Super NES. That's where Donkey Kong hit its mark. This is likely not what people are watching this to talk about. So you started it with singing a random song. No one knew. Our this is next your fault, Jamin. Seven episodes are about the seven lampstands, and the lampstands are the seven churches. Yay! All right, we're on track here. Okay, so we're gonna dissect church by church. Rip it apart. This is a series I like to call Jesus's wait, Yelp wait, wait, reviews. Wait, 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 Why are you trying to cut up a church? This is a series I like to call Jesus's Yelp reviews, because across these cities, all around Patmos, where John's located, he's looking out. He's probably praying for them, and these are the words that he gets. Where Jesus is like, mm, two stars could have been better." No, you don't. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jamin is extra hipster today. Apparently, what does that mean? You mentioned something obscure no one knew about. Yelp? No. The Donkey Kong Country song. <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> and then also Yelp. Have you ever seen the... Uh, there was, Only uh, hipsters use Yelp. Everyone knows that. See? I can't even pull it up quick enough, but there's a comedian that pulled out a bunch of like <laughs> actual reviews people left on churches on Google or whatever. It's like, worship was too loud. But some of them were just like absolutely ridiculous. And... <laughs> Anyways, it's funny. Was um, it Worship Was Too Loud, one that we've gotten? Everybody gets everybody that. Gets oh, loud. okay. As long as you have one old person in your church. No, no, it's <laughs> as long as you have drums and an old person in your church. Uh, drums are probably all you need, yeah. Yeah. When I started coming to this church, Jamin had to offer people earplugs for worship. I was told I should. It's not because I wanted to. He did not want to. He um, would rather make their ears bleed. But in this particular case... In this particular case, Jesus is not giving Yelp reviews. I know that's belittling what he's doing. He's giving prophetic words about, like, here's what I see you doing. Here's what's good. Here's what's bad. A lot of them get, like, some good. A lot of them get some bad. Uh, but this is the early church. Like, these are the ones who are on fire. This is, like, the church in the first generation that's really moving forward to to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. They're the ones that are putting their lives on the line. And yet, as we look into it, we catch glimpses of, of kind of some things that we see in the church today. And so uh, that's actually a, a good spot to like put ourselves for a moment. The first church that we're focusing on today is Ephesus. Who do you think this was written to? people of Ephesus. Yeah, all right. We're on the right track here. We say that, but a lot of people come to Revelation thinking, what? Like, this is all about the future. In fact, when I was a kid, that's the way I read it. It's like, oh man, 
what's going to be the church of Ephesus when Jesus comes back? <laughs> you know, like, there's so, you're, actually, so you were thinking it was like a secret code that we had to like decode in order to understand? Yeah, or a church called Ephesus would rise up. I mean, one of the churches is called Philadelphia. So as a kid, I was like, oh, Philadelphia, don't mess that one up. <laughs> and that's, that's honestly, that's the way that some people still read all the parts of Revelation, that it's all futuristic. But it's not all futuristic. So here's a few things that we should note about this letter today to Ephesus. Okay, Number one, as Casey has said, it was written specifically to Ephesus. Number two, if any of us were to read the letter to Ephesus and find that we are guilty of the same things, it then also becomes a letter written to us, right? Because why would Jesus say, hey, you guys... You got to stop being sexually immoral. But this church over here, it's okay. You know, like, obviously not. Like, if, if a church is guilty of that and Jesus calls it out in one church, then he calls it out in all of us. So is it written to Ephesus? Yes. But it's also written to all of us if we find ourselves in it. You got to remember, this is an ancient letter, which means it's making its way around. It was written to seven churches. So Ephesus is going to read this. And then the good old times where you pass on your mail to someone else. I just skipped that part about our church. Yeah? <laughs> you, you read your part, by the way. Guys, really? You did that? <laughs> so, but that that's... that's. Wait, did, did people actually legit do that? With I thought it was legit, like, this was for them, and he sent, like, them... Well, no, because John part. writes this whole thing and then sends it out. But so. wouldn't it be on different pieces of paper? So, like, he could give Ephesus their one, he could give the other one the other one? Like, I don't think that was his intent in, in writing this. Like, it was for all of them, you know? I guess we could consider the possibility that some scribe somewhere took all the letters and put them together. But it does make a lot of sense as one letter throughout Revelation. Because that's what you would do in, in ancient times when Paul would write a letter to someone. It's like, okay... This is from the Apostle. Why don't you copy it over and pass it along to the others? And that's what we're doing with Revelation 2. Because, I mean, I know paper was expensive back then, but... Oh, yeah. I still feel like if he's writing in jail, he has enough, and he's sending it to specific people, that he could send one piece to each people. Notice how the first one starts to the angel of the church, but then all of the rest of them are, and to the angel of the church... Oh, so it wouldn't make sense to have written it the way they've written it if it was going to be on separate pages. No. So her point is like to Ephesus and, you know, like it's continuing for everybody else. So as I would expect, this letter was all put together in one spot and passed along. So it and- seems so weird to me. That's just weird. You've got to read each other's mail, man. It's part of the way that uh, that revelation works out. Same with the Corinthians. <laughs> Imagine getting that letter. You slept with your stepmom and bragged about it? You know, like, well, this is scripture now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> passing it along, letting everybody know. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a part of that's part of the Bible. It's letters like the New Testament, the Old Testament. A lot of like people sitting down and doing all different kinds of genres. The New Testament, most of it is letters. So, and this and we did a whole episode on the genres of Revelation. You can go check that out for more. 
And in that first sentence, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, we just did an episode about angels appointed to churches in the last few weeks. You can check that one out as well. Let's move on to Ephesus, though. So we're going to kind of, uh, in the next seven episodes, just stop on each city, talk about the things that stand out to us, give some cultural context and whatnot. Um, it's always helpful to know your cultural context when you're writing to a city because, like, if I said... To the Church of Las Vegas, what immediately goes through your mind? There's churches in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> yeah that that would be a that would be an example of exactly where your mind goes. Like Las Vegas, drinking, gambling, prostitution, city of sin, uh, all the there's a church there like. That's your geographical context, though. It's instant for you. So you think for these ancient people, it's like church in Ephesus. They would have their own like preconditions already there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. What's God going to say to them? So in Ephesus's case, <laughs> Ephesus's. Your emphasis on Ephesus? Yeah. Uh, in Ephesus's, man, that's really hard to say. In their case, uh, the great temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, it was a big destination for pilgrims and tourists, uh, and it, it was uh, a quite huge. So they've got a grand altar there. There's a shrine to Augustus. Um, and so when we think of Ephesus, we're already thinking of the fact that, like, this is a place where, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're, like, sitting in the midst of, some other spiritual activity going on and you're definitely going to be raising awareness of yourself because you stand out like a sore thrum to thrum sore thrum <laughs> a sore what thrum what is a sore thrum oh you know i don't know <laughs> you stand out like a sore th <laughs> you stand out like an appendage that is hurts hold on hurt. <laughs> breathe this is the first in, episode we've recorded out. today i can't wait to it's see what happens so in the last one <laughs> So we're thinking of Ephesus like that. And Jesus says, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Who is that? Who holds stars in his hands? Jesus. Yes. Okay. So this is, John's like, the words of Jesus straight to you. Your Yelp or you. I know your works, your toil and patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And have found them to be false. Okay, that's good, right? That's all, that's a shining review there for stars. So, so that's great. Um, and especially back then, like testing false apostles and prophets and teachers and stuff like that, like widespread. <laughs> that was an everyday occurrence that you had to do because this is fresh off the Jesus train, right? Like the movement just happened. People are still trying to get their theology together. They're still trying to cement what is and isn't the Bible, what they do and don't believe, what Paul said versus the rumors of what we think Paul said that are going around the churches and, and, and how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of old. Like, that's a huge blur of information. Like, today we, we've got, you know, we've got the creed and we've got all these things that, like, we put together to determine what is a church and what is a cult. In their time, there was a lot of mess between cultic thinking and actual solidified orthodox Christianity. So heresy is widespread. 
And you can see that easily if you just read the New Testament, like there's constant attention to, hey, don't listen to that person. Test everything that comes to you. Paul, he's like, I don't care if an angel comes to you. If an angel shows up and tells you something that is different from what we, the apostles, said, do not listen to them. So, like, Paul's, like, even, like, thinking in the spiritual realm that there's heretical things trying to break through and, and get get through to people's minds. Um, any thoughts there? No? Not really. Just... There are some things we could learn from that today. <laughs> it's true. Very much so. I, I often find that when people just start beeping the heresy horn these days, a lot of times they're just being crazy. But <laughs> at least with like, you know, mega churches and whatnot, like, I can't believe this person did this. They'll call out heresy on everything. And so we always need to like be wise. Yeah, I've seen people called heretics for practicing the gifts of the spirit because <laughs> some people's theology don't leave room for that to exist anymore so it must be a demon which calling the holy spirit a demon is the unforgivable sin so you know be careful on that one but like uh we can call heresy to all kinds of things we need to be careful about what is heresy versus what is uh a suggestion of a way to understand a biblical context you mm -hmm. know yeah there are many ways to interpret uh, the varied understandings of free will versus predestination, if you will. Um, many of which are not heresy, but some of which you could throw out the window and be like, yeah, that just completely missed the boat. You know? So things like that. Uh, so I, I'm not one to quickly jump on, oh, heretic, but at the same time, People do give in to a lot of bad thinking all the time. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Feels like five stars, you guys. But I have this against you. <laughs> Four and a half stars. <laughs> but. <laughs> but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Never mind, that's a four star. Love isn't that important to you in the church? <laughs> no, no, it's very important. So instead oh, of being oh, a four yeah, and a half, yeah. it went down to a four star. Yeah. Well, commentators have tried to wonder, like, was was Jesus referring to? Obviously, Ephesus would have heard that, and they would have all had an impression. What do you think? Can you just come up with anything? Given we just have this letter two thousand years later. Um. Probably. That they used to be a church with a lot of. Loving actions, maybe loving outreach. Um, and they've kind of like hardened their hearts against those that need help or those that need guidance and have become more clicky and like, okay, this is our church. These are the people who are part of our church and outsiders, you know, people who come in the door, like they should prove themselves before we accept them and... Complacent. That's what I would say. Like, it had probably grown to the point where, like, there started to be families that were considered, like, legacy families. Mm -hmm. Like, families that have been there a long time, which isn't necessarily bad unless those families start creating a hierarchy within the church. And that's when problems arise. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean... 
if John's writing this, it's only been, you know, within a generation. So as to how deep it's gone with like families taking over would be one question. But I think you're both on the right track. Uh, I think the proposals that I've heard commentators kind of go for is either like your love for Jesus has gone down or your love for people have gone down. And I think I would just agree with commentators that say yes. <laughs> you know, like both. And I think the reason you guys both arrived at what you just arrived at is because, well, I just, I could hear you reliving examples <laughs> in your minds <laughs> of where you've already encountered this and run into this, right? I mean, of all the letters that I think every church can relate to in this, in those seven letters, it, it's that statement. That love you had at first, you abandoned it. I mean, what was the love that they had at first? Like, let's just, let's read. I mean, I wish I knew. <laughs> Uh, in Acts, this is like the first uh, church, uh, the way that the church is acting, right? And the way that they're acting is, um, oh man, they just go crazy with their love. I'm trying to think of the exact passage. Um, you guys know it? <laughs> Not some head. <laughs> There it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That feels like the start of revival, right? That's like, mm -hmm. that's a church really doing what they're called to do and putting everything on the line. Like That's kind of the church that I think of like, that would feel like a, you lost that love you had at first kind of thing. Because we've all seen churches like that too, mm -hmm. where everybody's ready to go. And then, I don't know, a pandemic hits or something. And then suddenly everybody just kind of like slows down, becomes apathetic, is less interested in serving or helping or even putting their own lives on the line, right? Well, I want to do a food bank, but I don't want to help with the food bank because I might get COVID. Well, okay. <laughs> but like, it's us for them, you know? Like we have to serve if we're going to. So all these things... Being said, like, we've all experienced those moments. In fact, I think we could all probably point to our own lives somewhere. It was like, man, I was really on fire for God at that point. And then I feel like I've lost that fire or that love that I had at first. Um, so I think the letter to Ephesus, like, really hits home for all of us. If it doesn't hit home for you, um, contact us. You should be sitting at this table leading this conversation. <laughs> because you're a better person than the rest of us. <laughs> Uh, but then Jesus continues, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So, like, if you're waiting for, like, the stern rebuke, uh, Jesus' words were very good to them. And then it's like, if I had one critique for you, this, this is what I got. You don't love like you used to. Like, not in the same way. So, so I'd say this is a good four-star. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's like a... Repent, you know? Like, mm -hmm. do the work you did at first. Like, you're doing good, but you could do better. But then, here's, here's where it feels a little more intense. Mm -hmm. If not, 
I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. <laughs> Listen, you did great. You've kind of you've kind of lost it. Uh, get back to doing great, or else. <laughs> or shotgun, click click. Like that's what that's what I like admit, imagined in my head. If we did it like modern day, sorry, it'd be like that was louder than I intended. <laughs> Be like, you did okay, you, or you did great, you can do better, so fix it. Yeah. Well, that, well. Part, <laughs> that part there does feel a little kind of almost extreme in light of everything else, though, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Gordon D. Fee, he's a, a scholar that's got a good charismatic bling for me. Uh, he says, this particular warning has created no end of trouble for later believers, who for the most part perceive the punishment to far exceed the crime. <laughs> But that says more about us than it does about the author of the Johannine literature, since he perceived the whole of the Christian faith to be a matter of experiencing God's love for us through Christ, and then returning that love to him by loving others. From his perspective, to fail at this point is to fail exceedingly, if not altogether, which is why the punishment is precisely in keeping with the crime. So... Love is the whole point, right? I mean, I get it. It's just, it does feel like whiplash with going from like, hey, you guys are all great. Like, you could do better. But like, feels like a complete switch. And just the whiplash recovery takes a second. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. But like, I think it's, it's a good conviction. Like, if I were to hear that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I can do better. In fact, I have heard that before, right? Like, I can, I can, I can do better than, than what I'm currently doing, and I want to do that. Uh, there's a certain gentleness to it, though also, like, a harshness, uh, extreme. I'm not sure what word is best used there. Well, I mean, it feels like he was, you know, he was laying it on thin, but then, like... I wouldn't say thin. He had a lot of good stuff to say. Well... He started with... This is the critique we do in classes, right? Start with something good and then move on to the... <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like, I feel like this is sugar-coated in the beginning. Sugar-coated is probably not the word I would use, but... Um, but it is serious. And I do wonder to what extent he means I'll remove your lampstand, you know? Is it like a... Is it every church is like a lampstand, lampstand? Or is it from Jesus' like revelation perspective there are seven churches that i put like a very special if you will light upon to shine to the rest of the world so is it that jesus is saying like if you don't love better i'm gonna make you not a church or is he saying like there's a certain anointing i've placed upon you with your church and your angels that if you're not going to change like you will prove yourself to not be worthy of the level to which i have made you glow I don't know if you guys have a preference on which way to go with that, but I feel like it's less about being a church and more of a I don't know, I guess kind of the way I'm thinking about it here is it's like, okay, you guys were doing great. You were taking care of people like just really well. And because of that, I sent all these people your way. You know, you were the lampstand for me to guide them to you. But you've kind of stopped taking care of them. So if you aren't going to take care of them, then I'm going to turn off the light and they're not going to find you anymore. 
Yeah. Well, here's another way to think about it. There are no active churches in Ephesus today. And if there's any Christians there, they hide. <laughs> like, we don't really know about them. N.T. Wright points this out, is that, uh, like, for Ephesus, like, it was, it was a major center for early Christianity. Um, by the second century, Christian writers uh, uh, were holding up Ephesus as a great example of Christian faith, life, and witness. I'm just reading N.T. Wright at this point. Uh, for several centuries, it held a position of preeminence, and one of the great 5th century church councils was held there, and now there's nothing. It's not there. So when Jesus says, you know, if you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand. Well, <laughs> kind of seems like that happened. Yeah, and it may not have happened with that generation, but it's almost as though we look back at it today as like, it seems to be gone. Like, so with that being said, eventually it happened. Otherwise, it would still still be there. I would I would imagine. But you do see, you do see with everything I just said about the things that were happening in Ephesus. That feels like a almost anointing type lampstand like this. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the best churches of the seven churches. You know, so they they really do a good job. Except that they've lost the love that they had at first, and clearly, eventually, they lost it entirely. Um, and that I think is a word to us too when we're thinking of our own churches and the ways that we serve. Um, uh, okay, so let's wrap it up. Uh, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Want to take a stab at what the work of the Nicolaitans is? Nope. Nobody knows, so you're okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> we have no records of what we can even process that as. But obviously, it's some form of bad teaching, right? Yeah. Uh, Jesus said earlier... Um, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Clearly the Nicolaitans fall in some kind of stream that is of false teaching or thinking. Uh, and then Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he says this, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. John has a system to all these churches for the most part. The first statement is to the angel of the church in blank, mm -hmm. write to them the words of Jesus. And then Jesus describes himself in a unique way. In this one, he holds the seven stars, which John already saw. He's among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is exalted at the beginning of the letter to Ephesus. And then at the end, Jesus gives an extension to the church in a unique way. To the one who conquers... Uh, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. And that's going to show up in Revelation later, where the tree of life is found in this new Eden, this new resurrected world, and they can eat of it and live on forever. So, glorify God, Yelp review, extension of blessing. These are how all the letters are going to work, and we'll continue to see that. Um, they're going to conquer, they're going to be victorious. Even if they get killed, that is considered conquering. Because by doing that, they go on to eternal life. They have actually won the battle, not lost it. Uh, who is our prototype of this example? Jesus. Right? So Jesus is the conqueror, and he conquered by... Dying. Dying, seeming to lose, but actually winning. 
And Jesus is now extending that to you too. You might be killed, but that's actually conquering. And there you find eternal life with the tree of life. I don't know if that's a prototype. That seems weird. Well, you can apply that to other characters, I'm sure. But just because I'm the like... prototype for the church's way of acting, where death is life, is Jesus. It's just because prototype usually means that's the first attempt, and it always gets better after that. Whereas in it's hard for us to no get better. No analogy is perfect, yes. Why Casey. Do you do this? Jesus was the beta test. What do you want me to say, Casey? No, none of that. What do you want me to say? This episode's over. That's the theme song. There's the credits. <laughs> <laughs>